0: Paul is your Bible teacher today. He has years of experience as a pastor, seminary instructor, and more. Later you will be given information how to reach us. If you have questions you would like addressed, let us know. Maybe you have a need in your life and want to know how the Bible gives answers that apply to us today, feel free to contact us. Now enjoy the lesson.
1: If you have your Bibles, open them please to 1 Chronicles chapter 12, I'd like to begin reading verse 30 through 33. It says, Of the sons of Ephraim, 20,800 mighty men of valor, famous men throughout their father's house. And of the half-tribe of Manasseh, 18,000, who were designated by name to come and make David king. Of the sons of Issachar, who had understanding of the times, to know what Israel ought to do, their chiefs were 200 and all their brethren were at their command of zebulun there were 50,000 who went out to battle expert in war with all weapons of war stout-hearted men who could keep the ranks stop right there you know the jewish bible doesn't separate first and second chronicles and are actually chronicles is at the end of the Jewish Bible. It finishes out the book. And that's because it does just that. It chronicles. They would, translated the Jewish name for the book would be Annals, the Annals. It's here's the history, here's what happened. And what we step into at this point is that King Saul has died in chapter 10 Because he did not inquire of the Lord, therefore the Lord took his life. Verse 14 of chapter 10, it says, And he turned the kingdom over to David, the son of Jesse. And so now all Israel came together to David at Hebron, saying, Indeed, we are of your bone and your flesh. Also in time past, even when Saul was king, you were the one who led Israel out and brought them in, And the Lord your God said to you, You shall shepherd my people Israel and be ruler over my people Israel. So now in chapter 11, we have all of Israel coming out. And as we have just read to set the context, we're looking at tribe by tribe, those that send out representatives to go and make David the king of Israel. It's interesting because they were all of one mind. You can see that in chapter 12, in verse 38. It says, All these men of war who could keep ranks came to Hebron with a loyal heart to make David king over Israel, and all the rest of Israel were of one mind to make David king. So they were of one mind and of one heart. But I want us really to look at this is a a verse that I've loved. It's been a favorite verse of mine, and I've never preached on it. So I said, we're looking at a new year. This is a good time to look at this verse. And that's the sons of Issachar, the verse 32, and of the sons of Issachar who had understanding of the times to know what Israel ought to do. That's really where I want to focus today because it does speak about understanding, and that understanding is to have insight, to have skill. I love this passage because it talks about stout-hearted men, talks about mighty men. By the way, stout-hearted men, literally it's heart-hearted. Some of your versions might say double-hearted, and that's the really the idea. You have your whole heart and soul, sometimes we say it. They were double-hearted, they were undivided of their loyalty to stand for Israel, to stand for David as the king. They would stand in the ranks, even if it meant their death. I love the idea of that, how these were just sold out. They were loyal. They were decided this is what was going to happen. There are some interesting things. Some of the ancient rabbis have written and said that, well, they didn't really understand all what was really going on, here we see that Israel did know that the sons of Issachar had an understanding of the times, and they knew what Israel ought to do. They had a a knowledge. They knew what should be done. We're living in a day and age where we might understand the political and the spiritual battles, and, and really that's what Issachar knew some of the rabbis wrote and they said, well, these men had understanding of astrological times, so they understood this or that. But I don't think the context bears that out. I don't think the Bible speaks about that. I think that he really is talking about having a, an understanding to make the right decision and be able to put it into action. That's what the idea is. That we have an understanding of the times and we know what we ought to do. I want to draw that kind of application for us. That we understand the times and we know what we should be doing. You know, there was a a company a while back that got a new insurance policy. And everybody signed up for the insurance policy, except for one man. He said, I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to sign up for this. I don't want to have any part of that. So when the boss heard about it, he went down, and found the guy, and he says, is that your lunch box? Yes. Okay, pack it up. Are those your tools? Yes, those are my tools. Pack them up, turn them in, go by the office, sign out, we'll give you your final check. The man says, where do I sign up? Where, where do I sign? He says, well, why did you change your mind? He said, I never had it explained to me that way before. You see, sometimes we've got to have the Word of God explained to us so we know we've got to do something. We've got to move and have some action, you see. Sometimes we've just got to recognize and explain the Scriptures, and I pray that every time we hear the Word of God expounded, it moves us to action. It moves us to doing something because we are called to do something. I want you today to recognize that the Word of God is active, it's alive, it's powerful, it is going to work in your life, it's going to work in your heart. It changes us from within so that we know how we should act on the outside, so we know how we should behave outside. The men of Issachar had an understanding of the time, and they knew what Israel ought to do. We're coming into a new year. Today, I pray the Holy Spirit works and begins to take action. We've been praying. We've been looking to see what is the Lord going to do. And you know what? Sometimes it may be discouraging. Sometimes you might get discouraged, and you might think, Brother Paul, I sent out postcards before. I didn't see it do any good. But whatever we do, we trust God to bless. We trust God that He's going to do what He wants to do. Now maybe this is a silly thing. Maybe it's not going to come of anything. But you are being faithful in doing whatever you can. Because wherever we go, whatever we on a daily basis, we are going to live out our Christianity. We're heading into New Year. And I hope that we are men and women of understanding what we ought to do and that we're putting it into practice. I heard that the lowest ebb of the tide is at the changing of the tide. I think that's, well, the old saying of, you know, it's always darkest before the dawn. I don't want you to get discouraged because God is on the throne. God is in charge. Don't get discouraged because quitting is the easy thing to do. Many of our young people that have been raised up in church and then pretty soon they say, you know what, I've just had enough. I know many young people that now are saying, I'm an atheist. I don't believe in God. I don't think there is a God. I'm not, I, I'm not convinced. And that's a big wave that's happening. That's a, that's a huge wave that's happening in this day and age. It's something that's going on. Quitting is the easy thing to do, and that's why I want us to look at reasons to believe because we hold to the things that we do for good reason. There is evidence. We can hold on to these things because it's true. But so many young people have quit church because it was the easy thing, and they do not understand the times that we're living in. They do not understand really what's going on. There's plenty of people who have knowledge of the times, but they don't know what to do. I talked to one young man a while back, PhD. I'm wondering if PhD doesn't just stand for phenomenal dud, <laughs> because that's about what it was. Well, I've known a lot that have had their theological degrees, and, and they're with PhD, and they're just about a theological dud. If they don't know what to do, if they don't know how to put it into practice, if they don't understand what's going on in this day and age, we're living in a day where there's educated ignorance. And it's a sad thing. One of the outstanding marks that Jesus spoke from Matthew 22, Jesus says, You do err not knowing the Scriptures or the power of God. You see, when we know the Scripture, when we know the Word of God, when we know the power of God... We stand. We go on. We march on. If a man does not know the scripture and the power of God, he's an ignoramus. He's ignorant. Knowledge of the power of God. We need to get in and understand the scripture because the scripture moves us to action. The scripture always moves us to do something. We've been talking about, and we've gone through, you might say, Brother Paul, you belabored revelation. But we talked about the promise of the return. The early church believed in the return of Christ. They were looking forward to it. They were looking forward to great things happening, and they were looking forward to the Lord bringing in the thousand-year reign, the millennial reign, not looking for a great society. Do you remember the story of old Rip Van Winkle? He went to sleep, and King George was on the throne, and he missed the whole revolution, and he wakes up, and he's rooting for George. He's rooting for the wrong George. You missed old George Washington over there. So you, you know, Someday there's lots of people that are waking up and, and they're rooting for the wrong George. They're rooting for the wrong ones. They're looking at the wrong place. We are called to start a revolution. We are called that in our life that we ought to be so understanding of the times that it's caused us to action that people ask us, why do you do that? Why do you live that way? Why is it because we haven't been asleep all this time? We understand the days and the age that we live in, and we understand that politics can't fix our world. It can't bring in a false millennium. You know, I think it was Will Rogers that said, these politicians might really do something if it weren't for human nature. And I think that's pretty well true. We could really do something if it wasn't for human nature. But that's why we know the power of God. We know that it's only God can do it. And the promise of the return, it's not in meat and drink, but in righteousness. It's not to feel better, but to live in righteousness. It's not to bring in a great society, but it's to bring in righteousness and the power of God. The old Chinese proverb, you can't carve out of rotten wood. so true. We understand the history because we know that there's two Advents. We know and the world has just recognized and remembered Christmas, the first coming. But we're looking forward to the second coming of Christ. We're looking forward to the promise of His return. We don't know when and if there is a new year. You see, this world doesn't need changing. This world needs converting. This world needs evangelism. In Matthew 26 and 64, Jesus standing before the tribunal that was about to crucify him, and he says that he was coming back and that they would see him in the power and sitting at the right hand of the Father. And then everything breaks loose. Boy, they begin to tear out their their clothes, and he said, you've heard this blasphemy, and let me tell you that right there is undone. It comes to a boiling point. You see, when we believe that Christ is coming, we live accordingly. It causes us to live in a certain way. When we know the promise of the return, you know, our, our churches used to have watch night services. For a lot of reasons, we got away from watch night services. One was because of the fog in this area. Another is because New Year's Eve is a pretty violent time to be out. But it's sad that we have forgotten that we're watching for the coming of the Lord. We used to have watch night services watching and asking, Is it today? Are you coming back now? Is it going to be a new year? People would just bring in the new year in prayer, in quiet Very solemn, looking forward to the coming of Christ. The early Christians believed in the return of Christ and they lived accordingly. The world needs to be evangelized. You know, we've had the world constantinized, if I can make a new word. Constantine just decided he was going to bring Christianity and make it the tradition of the world. And he constantinized the world. And the world needs Christ and to be evangelized. Hi, give me a moment to update you with a bit of information. You can reach us now at schoolofministryresources.org or biblelandmarks.com. You can also reach us at P.O. Box 837, Valley Springs, California, 95252. Please contact us with comments, questions, or to receive handouts and printed material. We look forward to hearing from you. Now, back to the podcast. I remember Brother Cross was preaching down at CMBI one day, and he was preaching on the return of Christ. And oh, how Christ was about to come, and we needed to be ready. We needed to looking, be looking for the imminent return of Christ. And a couple of the students afterward came up and said, Brother Cross, I can't get that out of what you preached. And he said, well, of course you can't, because it's in there to stay. You see, the, the Word of God, it's in there to stay. It's there. It's permanent. And we ought to be praying for revival. We ought to be looking forward to revival. I've only seen one real revival in my day, and that was in prison. And it was because of some of the things that had been going on. This was around 2006, 2007, 2008. And there had been faithful men that had been praying for years. And then that yard turned over. They brought in a whole new group of people. And this revival was amazing, because in one year, we saw about 200 men come to Christ. And we began to train them in discipleship. And then the next year, we saw over 500 men come to Christ. The building, the chapel, was about this size. As a matter of fact, the fire marshal got wind and came in and said, you have a maximum occupancy of 64 people you got to go to dual services. You see, we had a real problem with prison overcrowding. I should say chapel overcrowding. If there's anything that ought to be overcrowded, it ought to be the chapel. It ought to be the church, huh? Because, you know, we used to have to sit people all around here. There was a little uh, office right there where the foyer would be. And that, we had people sitting out there. There was another classroom op- and We had people sitting out there. And the guards began to worry when so many inmates gathered together, they got to worrying. So they said, you got to have two services. The problem is, people would come to the first service, they didn't want to go back. They didn't want to go, they didn't want to leave, so they would stay and you would just get more people. So what did we do? Well, we took it out to the yard. Now, sometimes of the year, it's beautiful. I own is just up, so it. Weather's pretty much like this. We used to have to give out bags so that you could put your Bible in a bag when it was raining so you wouldn't get your Bible all wet. Didn't have umbrellas. But you see, that's what happens with revival. When you got 250 men standing around because, yeah, you could go watch football. It was on in the day rooms. You could go watch, but they wanted to hear and learn about Christ. I tell you, that's the only real revival I've ever truly seen, and it just grew and grew and grew. But it means that we can't sit and wait. It means that we pray and prepare. You see, the men of Issachar had an understanding of what Israel should do, and they knew the times. We know the times. We know the days and age we can't sit and wait, but it's called for the faithful to go out and do the work. We need to begin to pray right now. We were at our daughter's this last week, and it was dark and dreary. There was a fog all over, and I noticed one of the weathermen got on and said, only a wind from elsewhere can clear this fog. I think that's so true. We are living in a gray and a misty age, and only a wind from elsewhere can clear it, and only the power of God and only understanding that only the Holy Spirit can clear the spiritual fog that we're living in. Only those that know the power of God, that know the Word of God can see this things come about. Because you see, our world, America, is going to be ripe for retribution talk about revival, I want to talk about retribution, because we're on a moral binge. America is on a moral binge. Europe has been on a moral binge, and God's going to once judge. One day God will eventually judge this land. We're at Belshazzar's feast, maybe in America we need some modern-day prophets like Daniel. Men who will be able to come in and read the writing on the wall and say, this is what it is. This is what it means. They're not worried about being popular. Daniel didn't come in wanting to be the life of the party. He came in and he says, judge, judged, and found wanting. You see, John the Baptist wasn't trying to be accepted by Herod. He didn't want to be a guest in Herod's palace. He was an inmate in Herod's prison. But he boldly reproved him. Modern prophets today, we need men like Daniel that can read the writing on the wall, that can see that we have an understanding of the times and we know what we ought to do. You see, there's so much ignorance of the scripture today. May God give us prophets as such, like those of the Old Testament that will stand and tell the truth. And I'm using the word prophet as foretellers, not foretellers. But speaking forth, disturbers of the peace, those that were the objects and the hated ones of the Jezebels. Remember old Jezebel, she hated Elijah. And King Ahab, when he saw that prophet Micaiah, He said, are you the one who causes trouble? He said that to Elijah. You are the troubler of Israel. We ought to be troublers of America. (laughs) I want you to be living in such a way that we could recognize, not to put people on the spot, but just show them the spot that they're standing on. See, sometimes they've got to recognize where they are. Oh, they have a bent to call out the trouble, and it brings conviction to the hearers. We are living in a day and an age where we need a revolution. Not a violent revolution, but a revolution like those of the prophets of old. We need a revolution like in so many days past where there were great revivals. We need the prophet as of the days of old who will stand to that feast of Belshazzar and tell the truth that judgment has been given. They can't be afraid of reading the whole truth and applying it. Modern prophets... Today, what I might say is some that tried to be modern prophets want to be popular and not upset society. The woman Jezebel recognized Elijah was their problem, didn't recognize that they were the problem. We need men who will be like the Apostle Paul who stood up in Philippi when they were all throwing their books and burning all of their books and they t- said of Paul, you're the one who troubles our world. You're the one who's causing all of this trouble. We need men and women that will stand up and understand the times it will cause that kind of trouble that moves people to change their lives and burn their old ways and move on There may be some young man in the church today who will walk in that kind of prophetic succession that calls the Lord churches that we get up and we get off our behinds and we get on going and get moving. John, the Revelator, saw Babylon come down and he calls men to see that the 666 is a Christian society without Christ. It's a society where Christ is left out. And oh, our world wants the perfect society but without Christ. We need to get on an emergency basis. You know, when I went to work as a police officer in Fresno, we used to do something they called Code 100. We would go on code 100. What that meant was that every call that you went on was a hot call. In other words, you weren't going to go to somebody whose house had been burglarized. You, you're not going to go to that. You're not going to go where somebody's car had been stolen. You were going to go where shots are fired. All you were doing was going to hot calls, and we would go on code 100 all the time. Then in 96, 97, Fresno was a hotbed. You would just go from one shooting to another shooting to, you know, terrible, terrible things. And that's what every day was like. Maybe we need to go on Code 100 in the Lord's churches. Maybe we need to recognize we are living in terrible days and we're in Code 100. Stockton, we still need Christ. Well, how do we do that? There's the program of the remnant. We talked about revival, talked about retribution. I talked about revolution, but there's the remnant. You see, there are those that have stayed the course. And then if you get right with God and repent and want to see God and are moved to prayer, let me tell you, because in our house, the only heat we have is our fire is our stove. So every morning, I get up, I put the dog out. I get the kindling wood, and put the wood in put that kindling in and some paper and whatever, get that little fire started. You know what? Every fire starts with the kindling wood. You don't put the big logs in first. You get that fire started in a little bit. Let me tell you that I believe that that's how revival begins. I believe that that's how, by using the remnant, using those just like us, that he begins in the heart of two or three or four. Remember the story of Gideon? Oh, Gideon had 32,000 men of war that came out, and the Lord said, too many. Now, maybe that's Hirth translation. So you got to put those away. He just chose 300. But what happened? First, Gideon looked at himself. First, he looked at his own house, and he went and he destroyed the altars of Baal. And he recognized himself. He says, Lord, I'm, I'm a humble man. I'm, a, I'm of the lowest of Manasseh. Who am I? But you see, and when you say, Lord, who am I? That's when he is strong in you. That's when he can do it in you and through you. And remember, the Lord used those 300, but then he uses the 31,700 to bring about, if you read the end of the story, the other 31,700 come in and finish it up. You see, he begins with a few. The Lord chose 12. I can remember other stories of men, great men, that we've seen revivals in America and in England where they used a few men. A few were used, and it started the kindling, and the fire began to grow, and the fire began to burn. You see, it starts with such a way where we're conscious of our own failures, but we concentrated on the power of God. We're concentrated that God is able to do it. We've got to start with the kindling wood and know that the battle will be won because the battle is the Lord's. We have to be men and women that know the times, that have understanding of the times and know what we should do. This church has great opportunities before. We have some some decisions. You need to be in prayer need to be looking to see what is the future of this church. Where are we going to go? What is this church going to do? What do you want to see this church look like? Do you think that we can have such overcrowding in the church that we've got to open up a wall, got to put seats out in the foyer, people sitting around, sitting in all of the aisles, that we get the fire marshal's attention? Glory! Wouldn't that be a problem we'd like to have? Then we got the fire marshal in here saying, you're going to have to do something. I love those kinds of problems. How does that begin? It begins by prayer. It begins by us looking to God and the power of God. The men of Issachar had an understanding of the times, and they knew what Israel ought to do. We have an understanding of the time. We see what's happening. We clearly know what's going on. Do we know what to do? starts with prayer. Asking God, knowing the scriptures, and putting them into action—it's that simple. It's not some complicated, some difficult thing. And don't get discouraged, because the easiest thing to do is quit, and then you won't see what God's going to do. That we're going to see marvelous things coming about, and that that would be the beginning of a new focus, a new era, a new time, and that we'll see all of the pews filled. I read that ninety percent of churches are declining. 90% of churches in America are declining. You know, there are three kinds of lies. There are white lies, there's black lies, and there's statistics. Where we don't believe the power of God and we're looking at the statistics, we're saying, woe is me. We're saying, woe is me. Let's look at the power of God.
0: Thank you for listening. We hope you've enjoyed the message. If you want to hear Paul in person and are in the Stockton, California area, we invite you to join us at Landmark Missionary Baptist Church. 301 East Alpine Avenue. That's near the University of the Pacific. He brings the Bible message every Sunday at 11 a.m. and other times as listed. We trust you've been encouraged, challenged, or generally built up spiritually. If this lesson has sparked questions on this or other topics, please see our contact information in the description or email us at ministry at gmail.com. We look forward to hearing from you.